0: Hello, and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ donation and transplantation. Today's guest is Joey Boudreau Joey's been a nurse for over 25 years and is also LOPA's chief clinical officer. He has been a clinical leader amongst the OPO industry across the country so joey we started you actually were a guest of mine on the Connected My life podcast earlier whenever we first started this project and you were on episode four which was the origin of donation after circulatory death and we did a follow the the, the next week with the episode five which showed more about or we discussed more about the advancements in technology so what i wanted to have you back on? Was I know that recently on our sister podcast, The Gifted Life, you all did uh, two additional episodes uh, with the pioneer in the realm of normothermic regional perfusion. So I wanted to kind of just bring you back here and revisit some of the conversations that you recently had, and so further our discussion as well.
1: Yeah, Sean Paul. So interestingly enough, uh, you know, after we had our our podcast, the uh, four and five of connected by life where we talked about the DCD donation after circulatory death, and and then the following one where we really focused a lot about normal thermic regional perfusion, kind of some of the advancements. We were fortunate enough to to land what we call, who we call basically a unicorn in the field, uh, Dr. Angie Wall, who is, uh, she is both a a bioethicist. She got her her, uh, PhD in uh, bioethics. And then she's also an abdominal transplant surgeon at, wow. Baylor, yeah, at Baylor Simmons uh, Transplant Institute in Dallas. So, so, she's able to look at things, you know, from a lot of different perspectives. What the episodes are uh, really focused on, and these are this is uh, episode two eighteen and two nineteen of the Gifted Life, which we definitely want you guys to listen in because it was phenomenal. She focuses on a lot of uh, basically the pathways of donation. Uh, in and other so this words, so you're
0: so you're talking about the pathways both for brain death and for donation after circulatory
1: death. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So she kind of describes you know the, the, the pathways of, of donation after brain death or ne- neurological criteria, um, and and goes into that and, and a lot you know big bigger difference in that they they differ the most. In the fact that when someone is declared brain dead by two physicians, uh, the recovery takes place without any real gap in in blood flow. In other words, the heart's beating during the recovery up until the point where perfusion is this then introduced. Uh, normally, a, what we call a cold uh, storage perfusion, and different there's different types, but from there, the recovery takes place, and then the organs are sent in whatever container that they'll be transported in, whether that may be another normal thermic machine perfusion where it's oxygenated blood perfusing or some type of cold storage uh, perfusate. So so that's brain death on DCD, and she goes into much more eloquently than, than I can. The difference is that because that person has not been actually declared dead until the, re- the time that recovery takes place of course there is that period of slowing of blood flow then no blood flow and then a person ha- has been declared by a physician not part of the transplant team mm-hmm. then there's a waiting period after that before the team can then go in and, and start the recovery process and what so, is the
0: typical waiting period
1: It's generally two to five minutes and uh, and it's it's so that The patient that like there's no chance of auto resuscitation in other words that death is permanent and and then but the problem with this is that there's a lot of damage that can take place with the slowing of the blood flow and then the absence of blood flow in that period to where the the traditional method of DCD has been shown to be a little less successful it's still successful overall but it is a little less successful than a, a living donation uh, where someone knows someone and donates or uh, or brain dead donation because of, there's no lapse in that uh, circulation in those other two. So uh, that's where she really got into the NRP
0: piece. And how often are we seeing this now? So
1: they're doing... For the NRP. The, NRP. So, normal thermo, so just to kind of get back to it, the difference with NRP over traditional mm-hmm. is that on a standard donation after circulatory death. There's that waiting period, then the recovery starts, and then cold perfusion is introduced. With normal thermic regional perfusion, instead of that cold perfusion, it's actually oxygenated blood that's perfusing the organs at that time. So then they somewhat have a reconditioning time frame of about an hour. They get more normalized back to their previous function, and then the kind of the, the way the recovery takes place with brain death, then takes place with these, uh, this DCD with normal dynamic regional perfusion, and that you have the, uh, the the whole process after that where the organs are then taken out and then sent either maybe on another machine or in a cold storage solution.
0: So we're so, seeing the lessening of the damage.
1: You're seeing so much lessening of the damage. So that is something and you mentioned to your question of how often is it happening, it definitely is varying by area and by – it's really transplant center driven right now. As I mentioned, she's with Baylor in Dallas. They are some of the ones that are kind of pioneering it. Uh, there's a handful of transplant centers that have been really pushing because they're seeing that their outcomes are so much better with their recipients. It's something that, as she mentions on on the podcast, and you guys, again, really need to listen
0: it is. Uh, it's a tremendous she, podcast. Yeah, so. and she she talks about like this is the wave of the future. This is how donation is going to take place. Can you speak to a little bit about some of the different benefits we're seeing? I mean, we talked about the lessening, you know, of, of damage to the organ, but what are some of the other benefits that we're seeing with this advancement? The
1: biggest couple of benefits, and she really again goes into a lot of detail on on the, on the gifted life, uh, especially in. 218, where she talks about the processes. Uh, The the biggest benefits is that that they're able to use more organs because some of those that may not be considered good DCD candidates may still be considered if NRP route is taken because of that reconditioning. So if you have a, a liver that's pretty good but may have some questions about it, well, it may be a really good candidate for a brain death donation. And now may also be a good candidate for NRP donation, even though with DCD traditional practice, that they may not be uh, fall into that. So, so first of all, you have more organs that are suitable for, for transplantation.
0: So before you move to the second one, one of the things, so as you're explaining that, I think one of the things that we can see with that, not only are there more people being transplanted, there's also more opportunities for families. Exactly on both sides. So, yeah.
1: so you'll have more more donor heroes, and you'll have more people's lives who are saved from those donor heroes. That's tremendous. So that's that's one. That's a huge piece. And then the second, of course, is as she talks about, like specifically about kidneys, the 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 delay graft function on kidneys. In other words, uh, sometimes, especially with DCDs. They have to still be put on dialysis for a short period before the kidneys start getting back to normal, and the, that rate is about forty-three percent in her calculation for her for her data for her her transplant centers. And I'm I'm going off of memory now, but I believe it's thirteen percent on NRP. So as you can see, basically three between three and four times less chance of having to be put back on dialysis. So that's a huge piece. For these patients who've just received their gift now on, on NRP from NRP as opposed to standard DCD. So it's wonderful. The, the other piece that she really touched home about was the ethics and legal aspects of NRP. Uh, and that one's on episode 219 for you guys listening. And with every big medical change you have to look at things from a legal perspective and from an ethical perspective and she, fortunately she's got well that's what that. i was
0: going to say whenever you were talking about like the introduction of her how amazing it is to have both of those things you know all right wrapped from up her into perspective. One. yeah exactly
1: and so she goes into great detail speaks very eloquently and and uh, of course makes arguments you know from from all points of view which a biothesis would do and of course talks about why. She decided for her and her team that this is the right thing to do, and there's a lot of things that she lays out, so I don't want to put the spoiler or spoiler alert in there, but it's it's really good again, and we definitely encourage all of you guys to listen in because it's one of my favorite episodes and uh and in fact, we've got a ton of of good feedback from everyone who have heard who's listened uh said that's one of the better. Episodes that we've ever done. And, and I think we've done quite a few. So,
0: so with these advancements, like, especially with the NRPs, and that, that's what we're talking about, like, what do you see as some of the most important aspects of us moving forward to see this have greater impact?
1: It's so again, as I mentioned, the biggest thing right now is it is very much transplant center driven right now. And I think ultimately it will grow to where, that's going to be the standard of practice regardless of uh, if if that transplant center is coming in to recover a liver for their patient or not. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, it's, there's no one involved that, you know, maybe we don't even know, maybe it's a rush case. We don't know who's going to be benefiting from these life-saving gifts. I, I truly believe, and, and she does as well, that this is going to be a standard of practice for even at the OPO level, at the LOPA level, and at you know, all the organ procurement organizations around the country, this will be the way donation is done. And like I said, it'll open the door to so many more, for so many more to become donor heroes. So that's what our, that's my, truly my biggest takeaway. And that's how I see it moving forward.
0: And I'm sure that, you know, is coupled with a lot of education within your organization, also with hospitals, even with families when you're walking through the process. Right. It is they- a
1: change, right. As of right now, it's new, you know, and it's kind of, as you remember, 20-something years ago when we got back into DCD donation, there's a lot of education that goes with it because anytime you have a new process, you want everyone to understand the process and feel comfortable moving forward in their role within the process. So, yes, so that's something that we're looking forward to uh, to meeting Uh, the hospital's needs, meeting physicians' needs, and of course ultimately meeting all the families' needs when it comes to that communication piece and education.
0: One of the last things I, I wanted to talk about, kind of going back to the original conversation but the beginning of it, when we're talking about the pathways of brain death and donation after circulatory death, can you just briefly talk about the opportunities, like the percentages of, you know, being brain death donors versus the potential of donation after circulatory death?
1: Well, years ago, as you remember with the collaborative uh, so a collaboration basically between the donor hospitals, the OPOs, the organ procurement organizations and transplant centers a goal was set of 10 percent of all donations would be DCD donors so 90 percent of them would be brain dead and that was a lofty goal at the time of 10 percent being uh, DCD donors and now uh, many of the OPOs are roughly running about 30 to 40% of their donations are DCD donations. And which is, we're actually 40% of our cases, 40% of our, our donors that have saved a life are donors because of DCD donation. And their family said yes to DCD. Now, uh, you know, some of those regress to brain death. Uh, some of those maintain the same course of DCD, so it, that part varies uh, with within at least LOPA. But uh, but forty percent of of those would not be donors had it not be for a DCD.
0: And I guess what I was getting to with this is because you're going to see those numbers increase because right. what would have been maybe a marginal candidate now is increasing the odds of them becoming a donor and saving other lives.
1: I expect, and I, I know some in the field expect that. Over 50% of donations in the future will be because a family said yes to DCD donation. And that's because NRP is going to be widening uh, those opportunities throughout the industry.
0: That's tremendous. I mean, I know it's been such a hot topic because, you know, I think we've, every week it seems like there's either a meeting or a presentation. Even when I was in a conference this past week, there was a lot of breakout sessions and even plenary sessions on um, NRP. So, you know, it's definitely, uh, something that's advancing, uh, you know, technology donation and transplantation and just helping more families. So is there anything else that you would like to leave us with today?
1: Well, I mean, if any of you guys are interested in learning more about NRP, of course, again, first listen to the podcast, the Gift Gifted Life podcast, both 218 and 219. Again, they're very, very, eloquently spoken of as far as the, the DCD and, and all of the methods of donation in general. Uh, but if you are interested in, in uh, especially LOPA, providing education, we will be looking forward to providing education to hospital staff, especially at the OR, the OR staff, so that, uh, so that everyone can be prepared on what's, what's to come. It's not going to be any more difficult for the staff, but at the same time, you know, it is something that is different. And so when things are different, we like to be on the front end.
0: Well, it's definitely a new experience. And, you know, I know that you all do a tremendous job in making sure that, um, they're communicated with just making sure that everybody's on the same page and understanding their role and, 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 you know, what the out, ultimate outcome is. So, but, uh, well, man, I, I really appreciate you being back. Uh, you are our first, uh, recurring guest. There you go. So, uh, must be some popularity there. So you requested to come back on so you can revisit this conversation. But, uh, you know, thank you for your commitment and dedication that you provided for over 20 years in this field. And um, I know that uh, I speak for many people on just, uh, you know, you have been uh, had tremendous, making a tremendous difference. Uh, so continue doing that. So Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor at any time at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And always remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz, our production assistant is Chandra Williams, and we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.